Welcome to Mac and Cheese Music Podcast with your host, Brian DeHart. Hey, Bruno, you think it's okay to repeat myself? I think it's all right. Well, we just wanted to say thank you to everybody. We're in eight countries. We couldn't have done it without you. Again, thank you so much. We are indeed blessed with awesome podcast guests. Ooh, that's a bingo. Today, we're featuring Seattle's own Danny Godinez. Danny plays with Michael Shreve's Spellbinder, Seattle's New Triumph, and his original project, Good Intentions. Danny's mesmerizing playing is no less than brilliant. Obviously. Danny has been gracious in providing composites of some of his musical ideas. Super cool. Well, we could just go on and on here. I think we ought to leave now. All right, let's get to it. Play it again, Bry. Welcome, everyone, to Mac and G's podcast. My friend, Danny Godinez, guitar player extraordinaire, songwriter extraordinaire, producer extraordinaire. It's an amazing catalog of work behind him, and we'll discuss the things that he's been doing for the past, what, three, four decades? Um, give or take. Yeah. Give or take, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you start when you were a young kid? Yeah, I was introduced to music at, uh, at the age of nine. And uh, there were two things that happened concurrently, I think. I saw somebody playing. <laughs> and and it's just one of those things where you just remember like every single moment, like what he was doing, what he was playing. Of course, I didn't understand any of that when I was watching it, but now I now I understand what he was doing. So I was mesmerized by that experience. And then my brother bought me a guitar and said, hey, you should learn how to play guitar. And so um, I think it happened in, in that order. So was the person that you originally watched perform when you were nine, is that somebody of note or was it just somebody that a casual gig that you ran into? It was a friend of my brother's. Okay. Yeah. My brother is uh, six or seven years older than me. And um, so he introduced me to a lot. Like, you know, I've checked out his records and, um, you know, what he liked, like he liked, he started on guitar before I did. And so, and so anyway, he's, he had a friend who was um, older than him. He was like 19, his friend was like 19. And um, we were all actually in Korea. Okay. It was on a military base. And- So uh, you're a military brat. Yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, yeah. I am, but I don't really understand the brat part. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's just a, a term of just a, a amusement. Yeah. So, so you've seen a lot of the world. Comparatively speaking, I would say that, you know, compared to me myself, yeah. Like if that made any sense, even as a child, yeah. Like Virginia, Maryland, Germany, Korea. I think that's about it. That's a lot. That's a lot of moving around. Yep. So, yeah, that's kind of my little background, you know, in a nutshell. That's when I started playing. Is that when you made the decision that you were going to pursue this with your heart and your soul, or was it a, a gradual process? I'm still trying to make that decision now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, just, just coming for me, I don't know, maybe it's a little late. <laughs> I think you're all in, brother. <laughs> Um, when did I start? What was the question? Oh, the question is, when did it become a passion for you? I think when I started playing, just from a child, I I just, for some reason, I, no one ever had to tell me that I had to play my guitar. I just, it was one of those things where I I became attached. And, um, and maybe I even did have a passion as a young person with the guitar, but I just didn't know what it was. Yeah, I didn't understand what passion meant. Were you uh, attached to your guitar? Do one of those obsession things where you're just like carrying around with you all the time? Or did you come back and forth to it? No, no, I played it um, every day, you know, for multiple, for as long as that I could, I could get away with it. I'd put the time in to play it. It's a lot of fun. Just, um, I would just 
turn on the radio and uh, play along with whatever I heard. And um, and that's kind of, I didn't know how important that was and what that was doing for me, but I, um, I'm really thankful that I did that. And I did that early. I just tried to, essentially it was tr transcribing or trying to. Did you uh, start with a, a an education in music in high school or junior high school, or were you, like a lot of folks, you just engaged yourself in the guitar outside of the public education system? Yeah, I, it was outside of school. For a minute, I joined the band in high school, but for some reason, I didn't do jazz band in high school. That's kind of a regret. I didn't major in it in college either, but ultimately, like, I think it overcame me. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I just kind of had to submit to like that path. Yeah, never really thought of it that way, but I guess that's kind of what's happening right now. I, I, I know the feeling. I, I do know the feeling. Yeah. So obviously you have musical education behind me. You couldn't be the player that you are without knowledge of what it is knowledge and foresight of what it is you're doing so when did you pursue a, a musical education high school but i didn't i just did it on my own like maybe through some magazines that i would see or perhaps there there would be somebody that's better than me that i would check out and like that was always profound is just to be with someone just in the presence of somebody that is ahead of you on a certain path. And um, and so that was really cool because in high school, people are starting to play and people are doing some really cool things. And and so, uh, but uh, yeah, it was kept as a very, um, uh, what's the word, uh, isolated. I never, I did have some bands and stuff, so that's not really true, but um, I didn't necessarily, start getting serious about guitar as a career into my 30s really yeah wow so, wow yeah I, I that I, I actually that caught me off guard because I would have thought that you were probably someone that was hitting it hard from uh, from the first days you play like you'd have been well thank you when I got to Seattle 20 years ago um, yeah, I definitely made up made up for it. I uh, <laughs> got with a band and we toured for years. It was called the Danny Godinez Band. Oh, okay. So you've always been a band leader. That's awesome. That's that's awesome. Love that. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a band leader, but um, yeah, but it just kind of sort of fell fell into place with that name and um but i was i was the primary songwriter and um it was a, a lot of fun i still have close friends from that era that i play yeah. with today so yeah um yeah hanging out with i mean that's always so much fun and obviously right now with the way things are it's um difficult to try to hang out and meet some other great musicians, some other great young ones, or yeah, I'm such a fan of just music and music playing and, and uh, checking out my friends' art. You know, I'm into yeah, that a lot more these days. What's the other one? Jazz Kazam or, or uh, Reverb Nation? What are those guys? Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I just went into a rabbit hole of like discovering great music. And I love that feeling of 
discovering something on your own and like and I did I've discovered a few people on the internet on the YouTube and whatnot and then slowly they they uh, have gained more and more followers and uh, that's kind of cool to kind of see the genesis of things like that I haven't spent a lot of time doing that but uh, I take it that you were mildly surprised of, of the uh, the talent that's out there <sighs> I mean, it's speechless. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow, speechless. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I remember I, the songs that I used to try to play when I was in high school, and, and now there's people on, like, YouTube or whatever that are playing the same things mastered at, like, 10, 11, 12 years old, you know? It's interesting to see what that does. Or in general, like, YouTube and being able to access all this information so quickly. Yeah, there's obviously going to be a difference there in music that's being made, in music that's being learned, in music that's being taught. That's an interesting concept that you bring up. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that there's hope that we're going to be moving away from machine-inspired music in the next 20 years? <laughs> oh, you mean like laptops? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know what you mean. I, I, I am consistently blown away with the talent that's out there. It, it is, it's mind boggling. And especially some of these folks, you know, they're like 13, 14 years old. I saw a kid that was seven who had Z, uh, Led Zeppelin mastered. I was just like, what? <laughs> they're out there everywhere, Danny. <laughs> it's great, though. I mean, as much as, like you say, computers and technology have taken over a lot of the music sector with people learning music, there's still like the most guitars ever being sold right now. So it's not like the popularity of perhaps the guitar has gone down. I also like the idea of taking something traditional that's existed forever like an instrument or a violin or a drum and um, getting influenced by a computer or technology and then reacting to that and how you play humanly. Like you're a drummer, Brian, and drummers are a great example of drummers heard drum machines doing certain things, certain, <laughs> certain flams or like certain beats that were crazy. And, and they took that, duplicated it with their hands. And there's drummers like Mark Guliana and a new drummer, JD Beck, that are being influenced by technology. I find that pretty fascinating. I try to do that too with my guitar. It's kind of like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's kind of like the Roy Clark syndrome and the Al Damiolo syndrome is that those guys grew up south of, close to the south of the border. And I think it was Roy Clark that said he would, had listened to Mexican radio and had no idea that there were four guitar players doing these parts, but he just learned how to play it. Uh. <laughs> I think Al Damiolo has a similar story. Really? Yeah, I do. Could be wrong like, about that. Like somebody heard Al and thought it was four different guitar players? Is that what or, you mean? Or the, no, that he was influenced in the same way that uh, that uh, Roy Clark was, and that he, when he was a kid, he would listen to these radio stations, and unbeknownst, there were multiple guitar parts, and he would just try to learn them all. Wow. I think that, like, the man that set waves of guitarists into that kind of thinking is Chet Atkins. Oh yeah, yeah. It was I think, I mean, of course there were predecessors, but he had the most uh, biggest influence on people that just thought, oh my God, is that one guitar? It's gotta be like two or three guitars. Um, Chet definitely uh, set a lot of people on their ear. Boy, and I, I tell you what, man, that guy, could cross over into so many j different genres. He's a great jazz guitarist, as well as a great country guitarist. Jack Atkins, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I'm continually blown away 
when I watched the old videos that he was part of, it was just like, oh my God, this guy, man. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of interesting people that way. Where's that ukulele player? Uh, there's a ukulele player that's a virtuoso that was just killing it in the 50s. Uh, Roy, oh. Roy Smeck. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I got Roy Smeck. He was one of he was one of Tiny Tim's influences. Is that right? Yeah, man. And the only reason I know that is I'm writing a book right now, and uh, and I'm uh, searching the minds of some of the great artists. And Tiny Tim it was influenced by him out of the '50s, and there was another fellow out of the '20s who was an ukulele player too that he was influenced by. Isn't that something? Tiny Tim of all people. <laughs> yeah, Tiny Tim. Wow, nice. Who were like your influences? Um, musically or? Sure, uh, musically or philosophically. Yeah, I mean, it to, to me, it's all one and the same. Yeah. Um, I started out listening to um just popular radio and um, the hodgepodge things that were on the radio i grew up coming up in the 80s like the late 80s and so there'd be a lot of like ready you know 80s music on the radio and so um i would say that that kind of influenced me um a great deal and uh, there were guitar players that I really spent a lot of time um, listening to. Uh, Mark Knopfler was one of them. <laughs> Makes sense. I think Mark Knopfler was the one that got me to like not play with the pick and just to explore the hand and what the sound and what it can do. And that kind of genre of music, Chet Atkinsy kind of thing as well. I really enjoy that. And then uh, Prince and Eddie Van Halen and John McLaughlin and Al Miola and Alan Holdsworth, and John Coltrane, um, McLaughlin, Jimmy Herring these days, uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel, uh, Mike Moreno, Jonathan Kreisberg, uh, Wayne Krantz, of course. Um, those were some of my uh, musical. Uh, influences rush when you were a kid did you try to learn uh the parts the guitar parts precisely from your influences i tried i tried and um but there was a lot of times where i kind of had to give you know i kind of gave up or i would revisit it like a year or two later and i would be a little bit better and then with some things i would like some aldi meal and stuff like i would it took me like 10 or more years to actually kind of digested in some sort of self-respectable way. Um, so I didn't always prevail, but um, uh, there's times though that I surprised myself like with certain uh, things that I was trying to learn. It was interesting to try and learn with no YouTube, like no, all you had was your ears to, and I think in some way, in some ways it was pretty cool because it made me look at the guitar differently because I I didn't visually have a source to go to. There is an incredible interaction these days in that you can you can watch somebody do something as opposed to back in the day when I know when I when I first started playing I had to set up my my record player behind my drum set and then it was always a problem of the drums being too loud for yeah. the, the stereo you know but you hopefully you learn some dynamics in, in like that. but that's interesting because then you have to be able to be really sensitive with your playing and keep a certain threshold with the needle that you can get away with <laughs> you know I forgot like, about the needle skipping. <laughs> yeah. That's got to That's got to pay dividends. So, like I'm sure that got tucked away in your in your mem you know in your memory banks or something. Well, you just brought it out, man. I forgot about that. The memory bank.
Yeah, for me, it's not memory banks. It's memory bank. Everything's singular. Yeah. <laughs> You're so modest. <laughs> well, it's uh, thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, uh, w- the reality of the situation is that there's astounding, astounding musical ability everywhere. And it's, um, you know, it's taken a lot of years to to get over my preconceptions and also my um, my preponderance for being overly subjective on on the quality of the music, which I perceived as being the best music and the best musicianship out there. Like, like as a kid, I hated country. Now I love it. You know, just uh-huh. that's analogous to that long drawn out statement I made. <laughs> What do you like? I I love and hate it all. Okay. So you know I I don't have I I don't have a large attention span. Uh, mostly what I listen to these days is classical music. Right now I'm nice. w- right now I'm uh, digesting a catalog of list, and, and so the, you know that uh, that compilations have got 150, 111 tracks on it, and I'm just listening to it. Before that, it was Debussy. I was gonna. So the question I was gonna ask you, looking at my notes here, how did you develop your style? Was there a process behind that? I don't know, Brian. I kind of feel like I'm still trying to develop my style, whatever that is. I mean, or maybe style is kind of a byproduct of everything that I'm trying and having successes in and having failures in. That's honest. Just listening right now to any types of bits of things that I feel like are useful and trying it myself and always just kind of poking at stuff to see what's new um, (laughs) Michael Shreve um, when he first met me um, he called me a a melody player he's like I've always wanted to you know make sure that I I played with a a melody player and I I mean I had no idea what necessarily what he was talking about He, he was talking about Carlos Santana in a lot of ways because that's what Carlos does too yeah, but the, I do. I try to, not always, but um, I feel like I get the most satisfaction when I can hear like a song within a song. And so that's what I'm trying to kind of go for more these days is uh, even if it's um, simple or complex, prioritizing musically what emotive type of material that I want to communicate and letting that guide to the technique. So I like to stress with my students as well that listening to yourself, recording yourself, a painter can always put the paintbrush down and take a look back and take a couple steps back and look at everything they're doing or walk up to what they're doing and minutely see their work. The equivalent of that for a musician is to hear a recording of what you're doing and then step back and try to objectively listen to what you're trying to do. So you're trying to work on your art, but at the same time, you're, uh, you're being judicious about what you're doing as well. I'm trying to pull up. I had some record, some stuff that I was doing yesterday. That was that was kind of along those lines where I was I was just improvising, and then but I was improvising with a certain set of parameters, and then recorded it, 
and then wait a few days and play it back and try to think about what I was trying to do or, or to try and play along with a previous recording of myself. I've been doing that a lot as well. So recording yourself, I think definitely helps your style. There's certain players for me that I just get knocked out by. Absolutely. I can't help but like sometimes I was surprised like recently I was playing and I could almost hop out of my shoes and look at myself from another perspective and I was thinking, man, you sound like Pat Matheny. Like or at least that's what you're trying to go for. And it just came out like that way. And um, I think it's a very mysterious, sacred, important thing, the ability of one person to access something like that and improvise with it, to be able to take something that they've learned whether it was a year ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago, and all of a sudden they're creating with it um, involuntarily. Uh, I feel like the greatest innovators were effortless in accessing the resources they needed to be able to create melodies and uh, so I'd say in a nutshell, like all of those kind of things I think about maybe has to do with somebody's style. Their style is like a, the result of what happened to them. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, you really hit upon a point there. And you had mentioned the sacred. And brother, well said, because not to be irreverent, I have some pretty strong beliefs, but the way I approach my playing is that it is a sacred because I'm at the, I'm at the altar daily, <laughs> Man. daily, just pounding away, tr just trying to improve. And, uh, so I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a point that I had never even thought of approaching it as it being sort of a sacred activity, but it is. You're right. It's highly yeah, I mean, uh, I was uh, I was watching this video of Kurt Rosenwinkel, and um, he was talking about how I'm just paraphrasing, but the way I understood it was as much as a, as much as the artist or musician toils and goes through all of the work and effort that they put in to their instrument that at the end of the day it's your you're sacrificial you're just hoping that you would be worthy enough for something to come up and inspire you to create a piece of art like and um and he used the word altar as well you know you you put yourself up at the altar and and you are you, you know, are you worthy to be sacrificed? I mean, it's kind of dramatic, but I think uh, allegorically um, might be alluding to the same thing. Yeah, I thought that was, uh, I, that really, that really caught me, you know, and it was just to hear you talk in terms of sacredness. It, and honest to God, uh, uh, there's a, there's, you know, there's a lot of correlation between music and God and the universe, as far as I'm concerned. So I've, I've been hanging out with Steve Smith a little bit too much, maybe, but uh, <laughs> there's, you know, there's the the path that he has been on is on is pretty amazing. You mean as far as like music and the universe? Yeah, I mean how he how he came came up with his uh, oh yeah. yeah. Pretty mind blowing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking out his book as well, just like all of us are. 
I guess we just kind of touch base on songwriting. So do you have a, uh, do you have a particular process that you use when you're writing music or do you let inspiration hit you? How do you, uh, how do you approach that? I, um, one of the things that I do is I, I'll, uh, I'll get up in the morning and uh, make some coffee, sit down and record myself improvising. And sometimes it'll last like one minute or sometimes it'll last like 30 minutes of just freely playing like what, you know, noodling, if you call it that. Um, but just searching, just searching for some some melodies, just some sort of gems to try and come around. And then if I find them, that's great because the whole thing is being recorded. Like I used to just record specific ideas that I had, but then I would keep embellishing on them and then wish that I had just recorded the whole time I was trying to work on it. And so uh, improvising and or uh, Like, uh, yeah, this is awesome. Thank uh, you. <laughs> sometimes there's certain techniques that will freak me out, you know, like certain ways to play a scale, or, uh, or of course, composers or songwriters that inspire me. But usually, like, a melody comes first or some chords, and then the hardest thing is lyrics, which are always last. Or sometimes if I get into the mindset where I want to write for like another instrument, like um, like there was a, uh, something that I was kicking around for a long, for a while, but it goes uh, like. <laughs> it's it's kind of a new thing but the um but i kind of was imagining that would be a piano oh yeah right yeah it's pretty simple but i like it oh it's beautiful thanks yeah. Sometimes coming up with a groove, you know, and you get inspired. To, or a mode, or a mode. Like, uh, you know, just try to do something cool in Phrygian or... Right, right. Aerto, uh, Mixolydian riff, when he did, or Lydian riff that he did back in the 70s. Brazilian cat. Okay. Yeah, I used to have a lot of vinyl, man. <laughs> Oh, it's great. Yeah. Cool. It's kind of rare. Like I hear about people that drive their car and they're just, it's silent. And all of a sudden, like a song or a melody comes to them, like out of nowhere. And I've heard like the great guitarist, Emily Remler. She says that there was a experience. There's experiences she's had where she's written complete songs in her head before she's even come to the instrument. Like, that kind of blows my mind. I don't do that. Or maybe a simple melody, but uh, I think having a more um, intimate relationship with harmony is definitely, like, a goal of mine as well. But I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, I think jazz guitarists call me a rock player, and rock players think, like, I'm some kind of weird jazz person. And like, I'm kind of stuck in no man's land. I, I, I have I, no football team. But well, I, 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 got, I got to tell you what I've, I've seen you perform. Is that you right? Play, yeah, and you flip your guitar over, you start playing tabla. Uh, tabla, is that right? 
<laughs> I I saw you at the at the uh, was it North Seattle Bistro and you had a tabla player came in. Oh yeah, and was, uh, yeah, and that was fun because you had you were, I think that you had like a loop running and you flipped your guitar over and you started, you started, you guys started playing tabla with each other. <laughs> it's just like I was like, whoa, <laughs> we have just transcended into a different place, man. <laughs> That was just awesome. It was incredible. Wow, yeah, I, I didn't. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun with Anil. Yeah, so I, I can understand why people were confused about you. <laughs> I do enjoy like a lot of different types of music and guitar. I like solo stuff, and I like maybe I like maybe writing for things that don't even involve guitar. Or um, once again, just kind of searching out for some melodies. I see an arsenal of stringed instruments back there you play banjo i'm, I'm still like uh, trying to get better on it but um i'm still in the introduction phase of it i uh i spent a lot of time working on uh, rolls with the guitar which are essentially like That translates to banjo really well. It does. I kind of yeah. feel like 35% of, of what I can do already, I can apply directly to the banjo, so why not? At least theoretically. Um, I like the mandolin. I have a ukulele here. Um, I have, uh, yeah, I have a number of different types of electric, acoustic, classical, baritone, fretless guitar, like a resonator. Um, and some electrics. I think most guitarists have a guitar problem. You have more guitars than Adam. And Adam's got an arsenal, man. Oh, man. Yeah, Adam. You know Adam, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, turning into an extremely good friend, man. What a guy. Oh, really? We've been doing podcasts together, too, so it's been, it's been awesome. He is, uh, he is an absolute font of information, which I love. Yeah, he's great. I remember when... Uh, Recently, when when uh, Eddie Van Halen died, and I had found out about it, I called him. I don't know. I just wanted to talk to another guitar player, somebody that would understand what I'm going through. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, it was he's great, man. He's a great person. I'm just very happy to know him throughout the last four, 13 years or so. And Jerry. Yeah, both of them. So, what's your favorite guitar? Do you have a favorite or favorites? Nope. I kind of look at each guitar like maybe serving a different purpose, so I don't try to duplicate, like have the same type of guitar. Um, so like this, I've been playing with this a lot recently, and this is my um, my 335, and I, uh, you know, it tends to work pretty well with jazzy kind of... A lot of it too is just being kind of fascinated with um, with all the knobs and stuff on it, and trying to like sonically understand how I could, you know, just try and create with them. 
and make music like the differences between these knobs and say, you know, the knobs on like another guitar. And so uh, I like Fender Strats a lot. Um, I have a couple of them and uh, I don't really have a favorite. I play acoustic just as much as I do the electric. Yep. And sometimes more. Um, I always find that interesting to go to a, like, hang out with a guitar friend and they have like one acoustic and I, I'm envious that they can just keep it down to one acoustic. <laughs> well, I, I, I would think somebody with real diverse influences would actually have different applications for different different guitars. Yeah, probably the same as drums too, right, Brian? Well, you know what? It for drums, it's a matter of space. I'm not Bill Ray, and I don't have a, I don't have a, uh, I don't have a entire room, an entire wall dedicated to snare drums. <laughs> I have three snare drums and, and one kit, and and uh, and that's it. I'm I'm pretty limited on space. Okay. Pretty limited on space. But if if I could, I guarantee it, brother, I would. <laughs> I've been accused of being a gear slut, and there's a lot of truth in that. I have seen you perform in many different circumstances with different amplification. I, the last gig that I saw you with, you, you were using a basement for a Fender basement amp for your guitar, but I've seen you use other configurations. Um, yeah, I have a basement. I have a, a deluxe. Another. So do I. <laughs> oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Well, you, know, yeah well, you got to get over. I got the Rivera and the deluxe sitting across from each other. So there. Wow. That's cool. Um, it's actually uh, the deluxe is on alone, uh, but it's here in case you you don't need to plug into that one. But you, you got to get you over here and get into that Rivera, man. Yeah, sign me up. So yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted your uh, your train of thought. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at my amps back here. I, man, they're heavy these days too. As as I get older and older, and so I'm trying to like find some smaller amps that are these days with technology and whatnot uh they can pack a lot of punch in just a small space so um i haven't of course i haven't used my amps because i haven't been playing you know playing out live or i needed to blast something i think the last time i played live brian you were there at the slab no that's not true i've done some uh streaming things good and who were you working with when you did that i'm working with a band called the new triumph out of seattle it's an interesting band. It's kind of a, just a, like a, another. I get involved in these hodgepodge bands that are just a bunch of uh, different influences. And uh, this band has some jazz and funk and Latin elements to it. And uh, it's like a seven piece band. Yeah. So we don't really have anything planned right now, though. So there's a horn section in the paper. Currently, there is a, a horn player. She plays flute and alto and tenor baritone um and i think that i think we're looking for a horn player too camilo is the camilo estrada the bassist is the leader of the band so um, i think he's looking for one so are you guys doing original music with several contributors we do some uh stevie wonder covers um some like jazz covers jazz funk covers herbie hancock stuff uh and then, yeah, uh, the new Triumph has three records out, and uh, I'm on the I'm on the third one, which is called Night Trip, and uh, they're available like everywhere, YouTube, and all the online places. 
that have uh, music. So, the new Triumph Night Trip is the record. Let me see here on my notes. I've been taking copious notes, which yeah. is well. It, well, you know, I I don't usually take notes with people, but with you, man. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's a there's a, a a lot of profound stuff that you talk about, which is which is really 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 cool. So, you, earlier you had been talking about gratitude. Which is, uh, I take it, that's a, a very important part of your character. Yeah, definitely. And I think that I, I'm guilty, like others, of taking a lot of things for granted. And um, and so I, I try to remind myself, or just to realize, like things really are not that bad. Like. Um, things could be like a lot worse um the older i get i think the older we get people the more the more we have gratitude about living and living health healthily healthy and our relationships with people and sometimes i think like gratitude comes into play more as a person becomes an older adult you spend a lot of your young life alone. Like, at least I did, playing by yourself, you know, just trying to learn something. And then um, you go out and you play gigs and you try to do a profession out of it. And then from all of those relationships, there's a lot of opportunities to be, uh, to have gratitude one's family and uh, somehow it all somehow it all manifests back into the music and um, I have a really good friend of mine who uh, just had a baby and uh, his baby is I think almost two now Barco? yeah Barco and Holly yeah and uh I like the way he plays as a father. <laughs> that's awesome. Telling you, there's, no, there's something that's about his focus and the way he's playing, and it's it's got a like maturity that's reflected through his experiences in his life, and uh, that's cool that he that he was unfiltered and let that kind of come through. That's always really cool, just to check out the artist and how they're ever-changing and being being familiar enough with it to where you could hear the changes very quickly. Kind of like if Steve Smith was listening, when he was listening to Weather Report, um, Heavy Weather, and then the next record comes out, I bet you he would be able to hear a lot of the differences and a lot of the new things that they tried just because of how familiar he was with uh, heavy weather but uh... so that that was really interesting the statement you just made about Barco and, and that you really appreciate the way that he plays as a father because there was a lot of maturity and a lot of focus in his playing before that and you've actually have detected a tangible difference in his approach musically after fatherhood. <laughs> I think there's a subtlety there about him that uh, that I really enjoy, and I've seen I've seen I think that I've seen it develop and mature in him as a person. And when I met him, he was 21, 20. Yeah, so he's in his 40s now, and so I've seen a lot, a lot of him, and. Uh, uh, so once again, just in a certain sense, to be able to have that kind of intimacy with another musical source, whether it be a record or a certain electric guitar or a certain person, um, those types of relationships um, seem to 
like manifest and compost themselves into all kinds of other things that are reflective of gratitude. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just uh, doing my nails. Oh, no, no, that's all right. <laughs> it's a, I never get a chance to really stop, look and listen on the nails, you know? <laughs> and it's weird because I, I play a, I play steel, steel strings um, on the guitar and uh, and the steel just, they they just sandpaper my- Oh, I bet. And so the nail just kind of like looks oh. like a little jagged and weird. And then I can tell that I've been playing like a lot of steel strings, but then my nylon string guitars, they don't really harm my nails as much. Uh, I have, you know, essentially I'm living like, right, I'm teetering right in the middle of like having too much nail or not enough nail. So have you had the strings like shred your nails off in the past? Well, I've had them to where like I, I was trying something like the whole day and then at the end of the day, like the side of my fingernail looks like it got like sandpipers, sandpapered off, you know, just from repetitive uh, playing on a steel string. So um, drummers don't have to worry about that, huh? You don't have nylon sticks and rubber well, you you know, back in the day when I my technique was terrible, yeah, I used to, uh, in the 80s, we were playing so loud that I used to tape up and uh, play with real heavy sticks and tape up and just beat the crap out of everything, right? Uh-huh. And, but, uh, no, all those calluses are gone. I don't, I don't play nearly as loud as I used to. There's, that's, there's definitely that. Nor do, that he, um... nor do I want to. Yeah, I hear you. A friend of mine said that he shook Vinny Caliuta's hand and it was so smooth. I believe it. I mean, there, there is somebody who can play relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> Triumph, what other albums that are available out there that you are on? I know that uh, the work that you did with Michael Shreve and Spellbinder, you guys got a couple projects underneath your belt on that one? Yeah, there's a couple of uh, CDs out. Um, one is called, well, the band is called Michael Shreve's Spellbinder. And um, this is a funny Spellbinder story I'll have to think about. But, uh Steve. We have two CDs out. One is called Live at Toast, T-O-S-T, where we used to play at every Monday night for like seven years. And then uh, we have a studio album out um, that's called, I believe it's just called Spellbinder. That's a studio effort and that's a lot of fun. Uh, we did it mainly at home in our in our home studios. Okay, yeah. And. Uh, they tracked, the, the drums were tracked at Joe Doria's studio, our keyboardist. Yeah. Wasn't a bad sounding record either for recording it ourselves. Trust me, I know it's amazing what you can pull off of these days in the studio. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> I'm just recording like acoustic guitars with like an old school 57 with no with no preamp or anything, just going directly into my interface, and it sounds great. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? You can, you Here can it is, by the way. it down and make it simple. It's a lot more effective. This is what it looks like, but... 
oh look at that how old is that thing oh my god right? cool. i lost all the mesh though oh god is that like out of the 60s i think it might be 60s or 70s but it sounds great god. and the, the the acoustic guitar sound out of them are they sound 60s or 70s to me and i love it well that that makes a whole lot of sense i I know that they've come down appreciably in price since that time. I mean, people were paying when a 57 first came out, they were paying 700 bucks a mic for those things. Really? And that's a lot of money in 1963, brother. Gosh. <laughs> wow. And it makes sense that the components from then would be better than the components now. That makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty cut, cutting edge. The, 57s and the 58s were were pioneering microphones. Yeah, it's really cool. They're still around too to this day. You know, like you go to yeah. the, you go to the most expensive studio and see a million mics on a drum set, and then boom, there's a little 57 on the snare. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no. it's pretty mic. like so. You've got the new Triumph uh, Spellbinder. You have other projects as well, other album projects. Well, there's a band called Danny and the Good Intentions, and we've been, um, we're, we're going to go into the studio, into Steve's studio um, at some point, I hope, and record a record there. He's really happy with that. At the Seattle Drum School, just working through some logistics to get that done. And so there's some uh, compositions with that band. Uh, I've been working a lot on on solo material lately and that's what my focus has been and i just i'm i'm really hoping that i can put something out that's a document of like what i'm doing these days whatever that is yeah well hey i really thank you for taking your time out man this is really really means a lot to me oh my okay. pleasure brian wrapping up couple of things before I like, do the final wrap. Is there something that you want people to know? Something on your heart you want to share? The first thing that I would say is like, for me, I spent a lot of time on the idea of creating. When I, uh, when Farka was, I think he was like super young, 22 or 23. And I asked him what he thought the meaning of life was. And he looked at me and he said to create and like, um, I thought that was pretty profound, uh, even then. But in some ways, I feel like creating something is once again a gratitude thing to the creator or the ability to let that flow out of you. Because any everyone has the ability to create. So please find a place in your life where you're creating something. And related to that is improvising and which is creating melodies in real time or chords. Uh, what is improvising and how do you do that? And I, being a musician and seeing how that affects myself and people, I think it's a special place that people can go uh, into music and improvising with music and creating with music. And I suppose that that could be done with other things too. Um, perhaps in some way that would result in people being more compassionate about what's in the world when they're happy they wrote a badass song or played a badass beat. Especially today. <laughs> yeah. I have a t-shirt for you. Can't forget. Oh, oh yeah, I, w I won't. Uh, I, I think Steve will probably be seeing you before I will. Oh, yeah. So if somebody would like to take a lesson with you, how do they get in touch with you? They can go to my website, dannygodinez.com. So D-A-N-N-Y-G-O-D-I-N-E-Z.com. And uh, reach me there. And uh, these days I, I'm teaching mostly online. And it's, it actually has some benefits to it as well, to be able to use technology. Um, you know, sharing your screen out and playing things together and uh, 
listening to music together. It's kind of cool. So, yeah, the website. Hang on. Okay, Danny, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Brian, I hope I see you in person sooner than later, man. All right, Danny. Dude, this was awesome. Oh, man. Going on the podcast. Likewise. <laughs> Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks so much. And, uh, yeah, miss you and uh, and stay stay strong and stay positive. And uh, it's you great too. to spend some time with you today. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you, Danny. Bye. Hey, you want more mac and cheese? Mac and cheese music.blog on YouTube at Brian at Mac and Cheese, Instagram and Twitter, www.macandcheese.com. And thank you, anchor.fm, for hosting this podcast. Take it away, Bruno. That's a wrap. Ah!